0: What we did in the worship, I just want you to understand that when we send a fragrant offering to God, when we worship God like we, we did, we've done, we've done what the gods called us to do, which is to lift his name up and to worship him and join with the angels of heaven. In Revelation says that day and night, night and day, the angels never cease to glorify and worship God. And when we do that here and join with God, In this kind of worship, you've heard me say this before, those of you who've come over the years, that uh, the word worship in the Greek, proskenio means literally to kiss God. Literally to kiss God. And when we express our love to God like that, it is a very, very sweet thing. All right, we are going to be talking about the book of Ephesians, uh, which is... As I said last time I spoke, just a book with a heavenly fragrance to it. I think I have a little bit of a, of a kickback here, Peter, sounds like. T- turn me down just a hair. So in 1967, I was living on a Balboa Island, and I was working the night shift uh, at a wholesale meat company in Tustin, and I would. on on evenings that I would work, I would drive off the island and down the back bay road, I radio cranked up, this was four years before I was a Christian, I radio cranked up, listening to classic rock music as I made the 25 minute drive to work. And there were hundreds and hundreds of songs that, uh, that I loved listening to, but there were two songs that still today stick with me that I remember that I hoped as I drove to work, I would hear these two songs, maybe one, or both. So the first one was Nights in White Satin" by the Moody Blues, which, <laughs> was, which was their first release. And then the second was this catchy tune by the Chambers Brothers called Time. And it had a cowbell in the background. I don't know if any of you remember that. It wasn't all that popular. But anyway, and the gist of the song was the importance of time and could you open the door here so the sun shines in here we all can see the ocean as I preach? That would be excellent. Yeah, I do not like the door closed. Thank you, Ronnie. It's okay. So um, so that song spoke of the importance of time and, and how that we uh, need to not put off tomorrow what we should be doing today. And so this issue of time... Uh, is of great importance to you and the issue of time is of great importance to me because guess what? Time flies. How many of you know that? (laughs) Time flies. God gives us a certain allotted amount of time and then suddenly that time is gone. And so this message is a message about time because it just seems to be like yesterday that I was driving... Uh, around the island and the peninsula and Newport in my 57 Chevy, heading for work, you know, and I want to show you the kind of car I had back then. There it is right there. It was a 57 Chevy Nomad, which was a two-door, two-door, it was a, go ahead, Ron, just close the door. I don't know what's going on. It's a a two-door, two-door station wagon with the chrome on the back, and I had two of those, and I also had a, a '56 which has absolutely nothing to do with my message, but I wanted to show you my, yeah, to show you my cool car. It's a $125,000 car restored now. If you wanted to, wanted to buy one, so, so um, now I'm 76 years old, and time is of the is of the essence. And somebody once said, as important as time is, there's one thing more important, and that is how you spend your time how you spend your time. So I want to talk about time today because the book of Ephesians that we're looking at is a book about time, about when God breaks into your life and then the time God uses as we grow in Christ to change. As we change in Christ, we become more mature in Christ. So I want to look at three passages about time. And the first one is from Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. This is a passage I use when I do a funeral or a, a, a memorial service. Oftentimes I will use... I will use that passage. Uh, Lord, remind me how brief my time here on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, that my life is so very brief, my entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each one of us is but a breath. I don't think there could be a more significant passage than this one talking about the brevity of life and that we are just... But a breath. I was thinking of Psalm one hundred and three that says that uh, you and I we we bloom like a flower in life, and then the wind passes over it, and the flower fades and we're no more. And we have this precious gift of time. And my message this morning, hopefully, is a revelation to you, of realizing how important each day is. All right. The second passage is well known to most of you from Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, there's a season for everything, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to harvest. So here in Ecclesiastes, uh, we're told that um, uh, life is certain when we're born, and then it's certain that it's going to end at one point. And then finally, from Ephesians, that we're going to be looking at in a few weeks from chapter 5. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. The days can be evil. And I think that we can just, you know, just the shootings we've had in our country the last few days, we, we, we can see how evil can be unleashed uh, uh, in any day. And so this is why God says to make the most of your time because everything is a little bit unpredictable about life. There are no, no, no guarantees Uh, whatsoever. So, in morning prayer, we have this view in morning prayer. We pray every day, Monday through Saturday for an hour and we think about time and oftentimes when I close the meeting, I will close it like this. I'll be thinking about time and about this day coming up and I'll pray this benediction as we close. Lord, today is August 11th, uh, 2019. We will never, ever have this day to live again. Help us, Lord, to live it fully for you. So who is the wisest person on the face of this earth? In my opinion, the wisest person on the face of the earth is that person who responds to that benediction I just shared. They live for God fully from day to day to day. And that is a great challenge. Because all of us face Satan, sin, and self every single day. We're dealing with something something going on that uh, tends to waylay us. But God says to us, here I am for you. I want you to live fully for me. I can change your life. I can make your life everything that you want it to be. I'm telling you that living for God and walking with God is The wisest thing that uh, you you can do so here we are in ephesians now we've covered the first three chapters and in chapter four comes the break in the book chapter four in ephesians is the break in which paul now after three chapters in which he's talked about what god has done for us now is going to say now that you understand what god's done for you now it's time to live the Christian life. So we have three chapters of what God's done for us and then three chapters of you and I living the Christian life. Um, I took three highlights. There are dozens and dozens of spiritual blessings that uh, Paul wrote in the first three chapters. and I've just taken five out that I wanted to briefly highlight that in the first three chapters, as we learned, what God has done for us, for those who have given their lives to Christ. First of all, we are united forever and ever. We are united, joined to Christ, forever and ever and ever. And we will never fully understand the unfathomable impact that that's going to have for all eternity. We are going to be joined to Christ. But we're joined to him now. We're united with Christ now. Secondly, everything we've ever done has been forgiven. And I know it's so easy because this is kind of the, the central theme of Christianity is forgiveness. But just think about it. That God not only forgives our sins, that literal Greek word for forgiveness means God cast away your sins. They're cast away. Psalm 103 says, as, the east, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has cast our sins away. But even more than that, Hebrews and Jeremiah Both say that God's done more than just forgive our sins. God has what? He has forgotten our sins. He's chosen to, he has forgotten all of our sins. So when we stand before God, you and I will never have to give an act. Jesus took that, he took that penalty for us to not only receive forgiveness, but also for God to forget our sins. God releases uh, his unimaginable love into our lives and Jeff, uh, Jeff last week talked about the, the height and the width and the length of God's love, how deep it is, how awesome it is, that all of us are here this morning because at one point, every one of you who are a believer, you responded to God's love. You responded to God's love. You knew that emptiness inside. And you've been trying to fill that emptiness with all kinds of stuff over the years. And nothing really fills the emptiness inside except the very presence of Christ Jesus. Amen? Jesus fills the void in your heart. Nothing else. Everything else out there, I don't care what it is, what you try to stuff into your life, to fill that yearning and longing, it will only be temporary. It's always going to be temporary. But Jesus came into my heart in May of 1971, and I have experienced the fullness of, of the satisfaction of Jesus being in my life, in my heart, every day since then. It doesn't mean I haven't had a bad day, maybe a bad season, but it means I know what it means to be filled with God and walk with God. And and the, and the joy that I have, I have no idea why God chose me to preach the gospel and teach the word of God. But to be able to stand up here and tell you Nothing in life is ever going to satisfy that place in your heart that you have tried to fill with whatever, you know, money and relationship and sex and whatever. Nothing's going to fill it. Only the very presence of the Lord Jesus in your life. That we walk with him and we experience the fullness of joy of walking with Jesus in that way. God dwells in us here on earth both personally and corporately. So each one of us, Jesus lives in us, but he also lives us in us as a church, as a church body. And we're going to talk about the body quite a bit today. And then God does more in our lives than we could ever think or imagine. How about that one for a promise? Right at the end of chapter three, God says that He that He He does immeasurably more. He does immeasurably more than we can ever ask or think. Wow! Wow! What a promise is that! All right. So we are now in a chapter four, and I'm going to put up the first six verses, and if and I want you to to feel uh, the intensity. I want you to feel the intensity of Paul. He says in the first verse that uh, therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, it refers to everything that's just been said. Therefore, because of the previous three chapters, in which. Paul says, this is all that God's done for you. Therefore, because of all of that, I, the prisoner of the Lord, and I told you last time that I spoke that Paul is writing this letter while he is in chains in Rome. He is a prisoner and he's under house arrest. And what he's going to be doing here now, there is this sense of of urgency in what he writes. He's going to use these words like I entreat you. Therefore, uh, I, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, God is speaking to you now. This verse is speaking to you. Therefore, I urge you, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God, And Paul has this great sense of a father speaking to his children. And all of you who have been parents, how many of you know the, the passion that you have in raising your kids, the passion you feel of how you want your kids to excel and to do well? I was speaking to my older son yesterday. He has four daughters. And he was talking to me about, Dad, I just, I want... I want my kids to grow up. I want the very best for them. I want them to be fruitful. I want them to be successful. And he was saying I want, I want to do everything I can to, to help that, to help help them down the road of life. And uh give any advice for me, you know, and, and, and I could just feel how much he loved he has he has four daughters, how much he loved his daughters, and how precious they were to him and how he yearned that they would get the most out of life. This is what's happening here in our text. Paul is yearning for those believers in Ephesus who are probably five or six years in the Lord. I'm yearning as a pastor, honestly. I yearn that all of you would walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received in God. That's My greatest desire. My greatest desire is when you leave here, something has happened that has helped you to know God more, to increase your faith, that when you go home this afternoon, you're thinking maybe about time, or maybe about this verse here of walking in a manner worthy of your calling. We have one life to live, one segment of time to live, how are we going to live? Are we going to live for ourselves or are we going to live for God? This is what Paul is saying here. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Don't let things get in your way. He uses this word here, entreat. In some translations it will say, I beseech you. In some other translations, I urge you. There's this great sense of seriousness here. And then he tells us, well, this is how you walk. After entreating us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, He says in verse 2 through verse 5, this is how you walk in a manner worthy of your calling. First, you live with uh, humility and gentleness. You carry a sweet spirit about you. The edge is taken off. You are meek and gentle and you're humble in how you treat people. You esteem others more important than yourself. This is what it means to be Humble. The humble, did you know, like, marriage. Marriage only works when you're humble. Marriage can't work if you're not humble. Marriage only works if you put the other person in your life first. If you put yourself first in marriage, it's never going to work. Or it might work, but it's going to be very messed up. (laughs) I speak from certain experience. (laughs) Really, for about 10 years of my marriage, I married 46 years now. About 10 years in my marriage, it was all about me. You know, I was a young pastor. It was all about me. You know, I want the church to grow. We want this to happen and, and that to happen. Uh, but, it, but my marriage was suffering. Your marriage suffers when you put yourself first. Your marriage begins to change and grow and begins to thrive if you put the other person first. That's what it means to be humble. That's what it means to be humble in church if we put the other person first. Can you put the person sitting next to you first in your life? That's a challenge I'll give you. You don't have to tell that person I'm going to put you first, but maybe you can show it after you leave the service this morning. I, don't, I know I put some of you on the spot now. <laughs> and, then the, the <laughs> and then these next two play right into it. Be patient and bear with one another. Well, who, who do you have to be patient with? You have to be patient with people who bug you. Like they, they, they irritate you. you. Patience is required when something is bothering you. Especially for bearing with one another. I'm telling you, God puts people in your life and God puts, puts people in this church who are difficult, Right? They're difficult, and when you see them, you feel like skirting around them, you know, and they may be very difficult for you, and you may think, oh, I'll go to another church so I don't have to be around this difficult person, and when you get to the other church, you find somebody twice as difficult as that person. God has strategically placed difficult people in your life. Did you know that? They are strategically placed to bring the worst out of you. Because that's what God wants. God wants the worst out so you can see it. Ah! That's ugly. Okay, I'll say it again. God places difficult, annoying, irritating, aggravating people in your life. They are the most important people there. Because then you can begin to learn patience and to bear with their nonsense. Yeah, a lot of times it's just nonsense. But God calls us to love people in their nonsense. He does. They're called they're grace growers. They grow you. Amen. They grow you in grace. They make you better. If you respond as Jesus would respond. All right, verse 3. Make every effort. Here we have this same sense as Paul when he said, entreat you to walk in a manner. Make every effort. Do everything possible possible. To do what, and the next three verses is that all of you would live in unity together. And this is what, where I think the church fails the greatest. Amen. Coming to church, you just is. You, this is not the Christian life, everybody. The Christian life is not coming to a service and then going home and coming next week and having having no relationship and nothing else going on in the church in your life. Or, or, or meeting with people for lunch or walking on the beach with somebody or, or connecting. Why do, we, why do we have announcements every Sunday? So you can connect. So you can find each other. And Paul spends three verses here talking about the power, talking about the power of unity. Make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the binding power of peace. And then he's going to emphasize this word uh, unity by using the word one. There is one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all and living in all of us. That word one is repeated I don't know how many times. Do you think God's trying to say something by any chance here? Do you think God's trying to say this is important? We are all in Christ together. And there's just one body, one spirit. There's one faith. There's one baptism. One God and Father. I'm going to baptize somebody tomorrow morning at nine in, the, 9 in the morning at Oak Street. There's one baptism for him. He's going to go under that water identifying with Jesus' death. He's going to come out of that water identifying with Jesus' resurrection. He's going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And that baptism is going to be a stake driven in his spiritual life. I've given my life fully to Christ. If you haven't been baptized yet, now's the time. Do it. Figure it out. See me. We'll get you baptized. <laughs> I love dunking people under the water. <laughs> I love it. And I've seen, I love them, I love it when they come out of the water and they're shouting and they're, and they're joyous and they're happy. You know, Jesus got baptized. Crying out loud, if you got baptized, how about the rest of us, right? All right, next section. Next section uh, is uh, is similar to the passage in Philippians that we talked to you about a lot, the kenosis passage of Jesus leaving the glory of heaven, coming to earth, becoming a bondservant, dying on the cross, being raised from the dead, and taking on the lordship of Christ, taking on that he he is now called the king of kings and the lord of lords. So uh, here's the second part of our passage. But grace has been given to each of us in different ways through the generous love of Christ. And this is why the scriptures say when Christ ascended to heaven, he first freed captives. Well, who are the captives? Who are the captives that he freed? Uh, Try us. Uh, I'm going to raise my hand. I was a captive Uh, before. In in April of nineteen seventy-one, I was a captive. I was a captive to lots of stuff. And in May of nineteen seventy-one, I no longer was a captive because Jesus came and freed me. Jesus says, "I've come to set you free," and He set me free. And for all of you who've given your lives to Christ, He sets you free. And if you have not given your lives to Christ today, you are not free. You are bound in yourself. You're bound in your excuses. You're you bound in how you justify you don't want to give yourself to God. There are no excuses before God. Soften your heart and say yes to Jesus today. I want to encourage you to do that. Yes. Soften your heart. Take away all the excuses and say, well, I don't like half the people in church. Whatever you don't like, doesn't matter what you don't like. It doesn't matter any of that. All, all that matters is that Jesus gave his life for you and he wants to give you a new life. Amen? That's what he wants to do. He wants to give everybody in this life, everybody in this church, a new life. And maybe some of you have given your life to Jesus and you feel dead today. Well, that's because you're thinking too much about yourself. Turn your eyes back on God and experience new life. Thank you. Thank you. All right. He freed captives and gave gifts to people. Yes, he ascended after he had first descended from heaven, coming to this earth, into our lowly world. He ascended higher than the heavens, whoa, that his presence might fill. I'm excited. I get pumped. I I like to teach. I'm enjoying this. He ascended higher than the heavens that his presence might fill the whole universe. This is why all the New Testament speaks about Christ being all in all. Jesus is all in all. He fills the entire universe. He created it and now he fills it, ascending to heaven after coming to this earth, this unique person, undiminished deity, true and real humanity, combined in one person forever, in heaven now, experiencing his presence released in the whole universe and that includes us. (laughs) That includes you and includes me. So... Well, what are these gifts that he gave? Next slide. God gave us these gifts. There they are. All right. Apostles. Apostles are those who plant churches. They plant churches. This is what Paul did. He planted churches. And some people think that this is called the in seminary language the fivefold ministry. And I believe that there are still apostles today. I think Paul I is one of them. who plants He's planted churches all over Southeast Asia in almost every country. Prophets. Uh, prophets are the people that you don't like to listen to. They annoy you. They speak with authority. They, they annoy you. The prophet is the guy who, when everything in the, in the church appears to be going well, it's really not good. It's not good around here. And when everything is in chaos, God's at work. God's at work. That's the prophet. When everything looks bad, the prophet says, it's going good. When everything is going good, the prophet says, Mm-mm, not, not so good. Evangelists think Billy Graham or Greg Laurie. They stand before crowds and they preach the gospel. And then pastors and teachers. And there's this big debate in seminary about is the pastor-teacher one person or is it a pastor and a teacher? A true pastor, a true pastor is is a shepherd. That was the song that Ryan sang about God being our shepherd during the offering. A true pastor is a shepherd. He loves, he loves the church. He loves the people. He's there for them. He feeds them. He nourishes them. He tends to them. He cares for them. He protects them. He's there. You can call him. He'll be there in five seconds for you. He's there for you. That's the shepherd. And then the teacher is the one who brings instruction and teaches you about the things of God. So I think they're separate. I think there's pastors, and I think there's teachers, and then sometimes they're both. Who cares? I don't care. <laughs> but guess what? They aren't to stand up here or rule over the church and do all the work. This is the biggest this is the biggest problem in the church worldwide is that leaders like myself, Jeff, others we we tend to take on all the work of the ministry. Did you know this verse is in your bulletin right now? It's in your bulletin that the purpose of these fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers is for the equipping of God's people that they should grow into doing what? The they do the work of the ministry. This is what God has called you to do. We, as pastors or teachers, are to raise you up to do the work. So Sherry Yamamoto and True and the Krances are overseeing a, a marriage uh, seminar time. Th- this is what they're doing. They're, they're entering into that. They're helping... Uh, in the church doing the work of building the marriages. And so, but it could be be anything. Like, what, what is it God's called you to do? Maybe you're just a housewife. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you work selling real estate. I don't know what you do. Maybe you're a carpenter. You, what you want to do is you want to live for God in whatever God's called you to do and whatever God's called you to be. And you will shift through life. You will shift through life in doing so. But these are to grow in doing the work of ministry, building the church, until we all attain to a oneness of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature and entering into the fullness of Christ. Notice, it's not the five guys that do it. It's the whole church that does it, that brings us into the fullness of God, into a oneness of faith, and to a knowledge of the Son of God that we all become mature as we all contribute. We all contribute. Can you say, we all contribute? We all contribute. That means you. You contribute. <laughs> that God's called you to be a part of this. And then finally, there are, our uh, section ends here in verse, uh, verses 14 to 16. This is the result of everything we've just talked about, that we will no longer be as children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men who seek to mislead us. Did you know there's people out there that are looking to mislead you? Like, you know know that Corinthians talks about another Jesus? There's another Jesus out there. It's not the same Jesus as the one that we know. All right? There's all kinds of people out there with all kinds of doctrine. They're going to knock on your door some days. All right? They try to mislead us. But speaking the truth in love, we are to become more like Christ, who is the head, from whom the whole body, held together by that which every joint supplies, with each part working properly, each part, all of you, every single one of you, it results in the whole body being healthy, growing, and full of love. And this is the goal of the Spirit of God in the church, right there. Now, I have 25 $1 bills here. All right. right. You don't get any of it, sorry. (laughs) Back in the day, when I used to make bank deposits from our our sawdust business, uh, before they had the machine, you know, that counts, the, that counts the money, you know, they count the money. Before you, you just had to give the money to the teller. And the teller would count your money like this. They'd count the money. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Oh, wait a second. It's a counterfeit. They could feel the money with their eyes shut. They knew the... True, and the real so well that the minute their fingers touched the counterfeit, they were aware this isn't true. This is what God wants of you and me today, yeah. that we know Jesus so well that we understand him to the point where when somebody comes along with some shenanigans, there's another Jesus, you know, you're not saved by grace through faith, you know. you got to work your way to heaven. When you start getting those kind of people talking to you, You need to know it's a counterfeit. And we as a church, my responsibility is to help you to understand the true and the real. This is what this chapter is all about. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's all stand. Well, thank thank you for this passage, God, that challenges us to use our time wisely. God, to grow and change, to be shaped and molded, refined, to become more like you. And all you're asking is that we say yes. We say yes to you. We say, Lord, we want to live for you from day to day. Would you help us do that, God? Because we just have a tendency to mess up. Would you help us? Would you strengthen us? And would you seal this word from Ephesians 4 into our hearts, God, that we might love you, walk with you, and fully live for you. And all God's people said, Amen.